Good evening, curious minds out there across the internet. It's your boy, DJ Jazwa, and you are listening to the Episode 1, The Case of Connie Ridgeway post-show, which I desperately need a better name for, admittedly, so if you've got one of those, uh, do me a favor and just throw it out there in a voice message, leave it in the Q&A, or uh, send it or any tips that you may have about cases you want us to look into over to clandestine radio podcast at protonmail.com that's p-r-o-t-o-n-m-a-i-l.com with that out of the way welcome to the show uh you probably hear a lot of rustling of paper here this evening because i've got files spread out across my desk and i'm gonna do my best to try and cohesively get through as much of this as humanly possible for you um to start off, I guess I just kind of wanted to talk about the last episode that we had, uh, the case of Connie Ridgeway, and I hope that you guys enjoyed that interview. There's a lot of stuff that I couldn't really get into in that interview, as I mentioned before, because um, a lot of stuff is still going on with that case, but uh, we will be doing a follow-up on that, and in this episode, I'm going to try to kind of fill in some gaps and add a little bit of context that we didn't really get to go over or I didn't want to talk with Austin about. Uh, the first thing is, is coming from a question that I've got from someone um, about what happened with that grand jury case. Well, uh, I can tell you a little bit about that. I'm not going to name any names again, but I will briefly just go over how that ended up. Uh, that person was charged with Oh, it ended at a plea deal. Let me say that first off. But they were charged with financial exploitation of elderly, four counts of credit slash debit fraud, totaling at least $20,000. Bear that in mind. Uh, they were issued a 60-month suspended sentence, 24 months on parole, one year of community service with the highway department, and ordered to repay $9,000 to the victim which I don't think I have to tell you is quite the sweetheart deal and something that has never really sat right with me and I don't really understand how or why that person got that kind of a deal it would seem that they would want to do at least a little bit more to kind of throw the book at them but not my call that one would fall probably directly in the lap of district attorney Chris Conley that being said here's some things that I can talk about which is a little bit more details about that case and some things I didn't want to discuss with Austin but I feel that we probably need to touch on and or I've had people ask me about so first of all why was Casey White in Florence uh, to begin with when he was down there in a state prison he confessed he came out with the open confession uh, we talked about this briefly but he he said at the time that it was a murder for hire um, and provided some details that supposedly only the the killer would know there's some iffy stuff about that to be honest because at that time he was also in some hot water down there with that neo-nazi group that he apparently owed some money to did that play into this in any way i don't know but there are people other people involved in this case that also have connections to that group so definitely an interesting connection 
Casey and Vicky. Again, I didn't want to talk to Austin about this, and this has gotten far too much attention in my view, um, and taken so much attention off of Connie in this case already. But I feel that I I, I have to go over this stuff, um, and a lot of people, this is all they know about the case, and some people that didn't really follow this may be interested. So let me see if I can fill in some blanks. Casey and Vicky White. Yes, they have the same last name. Um, they were not married. Uh, probably closer to kissing cousins, although it says that they're not related. She was the assistant director at the Lauderdale County Detention Center, which is where he was transferred to after his confession. Well, they escaped on April 29th of 2022 while awaiting trial. One that still hasn't happened, by the way, and now has been dismissed with the possibility of continuation pending further investigation. Vicky snuck him out of the jail under the guise of taking him to a mental health evaluation. And when she subsequently disappeared, it kicked off a statewide manhunt. Vicky was also set to retire that day. That day was her day of retirement. She claimed that she wasn't feeling well earlier in that morning and was going to be leaving early after she dropped Casey off. Shortly before this, she sold her property. Uh, for significantly less than that, the value of it, and bought firearms, men's clothing, and some vehicles. The manhunt goes nationwide after investigation into that. Uh, they left the patrol car and took a Ford Edge that she had purchased as a second escape vehicle and headed north. It was later found in Tennessee abandoned. After another vehicle change, they ended up in Evansville, Indiana, where on May 9th, authorities received a surveillance video of them from a car wash. They were then spotted getting into another vehicle, which was soon spotted by police at a local motel. Um, They called that in, the officer called that in, and while he was waiting on backup, Casey and Vicky left the hotel with Casey driving. So, a big highway chase ensued after that. It ended with their vehicle flipped upside down in the ditch, essentially. Uh, Casey surrendered without issue, and Vicky was discovered shot in the head inside the vehicle. Casey supposedly came right out, hands up, and asked them to, quote, help his wife. Again, they were not married. He also said that he didn't do it. I think that was the, the big point that he wanted to make was that he was not responsible for her shooting herself. Um, one would think that she did so because being a former police officer and everything that goes along with that she definitely did not want to go through the trial and be put in jail and whatnot so she took essentially the easy way out there on July 11th 2022 Casey was charged with felony murder in that case but then in May of this year, a plea deal was reached in which he would plead guilty to first-degree prison escape and wouldn't be tried for felony murder in her death. He would receive a life sentence, essentially, in that case. He was already serving a 75-year prison term for the slew of charges from his 2015 crime spree, uh, which is why he was in jail. Austin mentioned that and gave a few details that you know, I, I'm not all that familiar with, but... Two weeks before the murder trial for the slaying of Connie was set to begin, the Lauderdale County DA Chris Conley moved to suspend the prosecution with the option to resume it later. Stated reasons were saving significant state resources, 
and the fact that he won't be up for parole until 2081 already, and because investigators with the Alabama Law Enforcement Agency are continuing to actively investigate the case, including but not limited to potential involvement of other people. It's my belief as well as the families that justice in this case will not be served until everyone is accountable. Everyone who played a hand in this senseless murder is brought to justice. So again, I just want to encourage you, if you know something, uh, there is a big reward. Call 800-392-8011. Again, that's 800-392-8011. That is the Alabama Law Enforcement Agency tip line. And there, you can anonymously, if you don't want anything to do with it, provide them with information or, you know, Five grand or so sounds good to you, and you happen to know something, turn it over to them. They could really use your help. All right. Also, I want to say uh, be sure to go and follow if you're interested in, in Connie and her case. Go to the Justice for Connie Ridgeway Facebook page. Um, give it a like, follow that. It's going to be a good source of information without any spin or any kind of gossip getting in the way that's about everything that i wanted to or well that i can really talk about about the episode at this point Um, the only other thing i wanted to say is the prelude episode poll results are in and unfortunately every option received the same amount of votes so we most likely won't be revisiting those topics specifically but I'll probably touch on a few of them that relate to other topics or uh, I can see getting more in depth with with some stuff that was kind of ancillary and around the outside of of that whole uh, episode a few of the false flags I didn't bring up um, some more current information possibly uh, some greater depth and details on MKUltra as it relates to operations in the u.s by the cia some of that stuff i'm sure we'll go over more but i just want to say be sure to use that the poll uh the q a or leave me a voice message after the episode it really helps me out and lets me know how you guys feel about the topics that we cover it also helps to shape the future of the podcast i've said it before but i really want to build a community around this and and i want you guys to feel like and be a part of it and i think together that we can be a voice for good in this world that also desperately needs one right now speaking of i want to go ahead and get into some current news and this is going to be something that we're going to do on these shows on the post shows every week i'll be recapping some of the most important stories giving you some extra information Uh, Some insights and some things that you're probably not going to hear anywhere else. You're definitely not going to get it from ABC, NBC, CBS, um, or Fox, or any mainstream media outlet. Because they have talking points that they have to talk about, and they have no-no lists that they're not supposed to get anywhere near. And anybody that violates that is off the air. Ask Tucker Carlson. He knows all about it. So, without any conspiratorial slant strictly delivering the news and if there's something that's speculation i'm gonna preface that if there's if it's my opinion and i'm giving commentary i'm gonna preface that uh, i will only give you the facts 
as far as when I'm when I'm delivering a story what I tell you is the gospel I've researched it I've got the paperwork right here to back up everything that I say in addition to that I will give my thoughts and commentary but you will know that line when we get there that out of the way let's touch on some current news So let's get started here with some current events and news uh, with one story that will likely dominate a majority of this segment to be honest as it has largely dominated the news cycle as a whole for the last few weeks. That story being of course the Maui fires. This is a topic that uh, I wanted to address in the main episode and things just kept coming with it and, and it kept kind of evolving so I wanted to wait until I had a little bit more information to kind of just do it all here. While there's no shortage of conspiracy theories currently going around regarding the fires in Lahaina and around the island of Maui in general, some of which we will be addressing in a moment, uh, there is also no shortage of legitimate 100% proven acts of wrongdoing going on such as aid being restricted and kept from the residents by FEMA and the Red Cross and the vultures from BlackRock and Vanguard and other wealthy and powerful land developers who have been trying to get their grubby hands on those ancestral lands for decades now. They've swooped in and began contacting the residents about purchasing their land for pennies on the dollar while the ashes of their homes and lives were still settling. Many who didn't lose their homes are now being evicted and have 45 days to leave. Mind you, this is all happening at some of the most valuable and sought-after land in Maui. Interesting side note, these fires somehow managed to avoid the mansions of Oprah and other millionaires and billionaires. Just interesting. Honestly, there is so much interesting information surrounding these fires that, yet again, this, this deserves to be its own full podcast too. And if you would like to hear that, use the Q&A for this episode and let me know. I'll try and cover as much of this as possible in this post-show though. So, just bear with me. To really cover this story, we need to take a look back first at a few other factors. First, these fires occurred in Lahaina, which was once the capital of the sovereign kingdom of Hawaii, and many of the residents had lived there for multiple generations. Uh, just kind of passing down these houses to the, to the next generation and their family, and so they weren't paying to, to big landlords like BlackRock and Vanguard, the people that own majorities of the islands as it is now um, so and they there wasn't really any leverage to buy them out either they've just refused to sell that land as it's still sacred and means something to them so they've been able to resist up to this point all those land grabbers who have been trying to buy up their land again for decades uh, there were some of the last holdouts on the island actually and thus they were sitting on very valuable land second point Maui has the highest concentration of warning sirens in the U.S. at 80 sirens. However, none of them sounded during the fires. Not one. No one even tried to sound them. Zero were activated during the disaster across Hawaii as a whole. It has over 400 of them, actually. Again, none of them went off. They were intentionally kept silent because, quote, they feared that people would rush towards the fires. End quote. Third point. Early on the morning of August 4th, satellites picked up multiple fires, igniting at virtually the exact same time. 
fourth point. It may not be relevant, but in 2008, the Hawaii Clean Energy Initiative was launched with the goal of being the first U.S. state to run entirely on clean energy and to achieve this by 2045. Hawaii Power, the main utility supplier for the island, had been battling this and their power lines were considered a major bottleneck for clean energy as their power grid wouldn't stand up to the demands. Immediately following the fires, lawsuits were levied against and blame was directed directly towards Hawaii Power. If they were to be put out of business, it would dramatically clear the way for new clean energy companies, which generate more revenue and, by the way, Hawaii Power is owned by BlackRock and Vanguard. Just thought I would put that out there. So the next point, again, uh, back on August 4th, four days before they were actually reported, satellites had picked up these fires. Well, on the morning of August 8th, the official first day of the Maui fires, a power outage had caused schools to be canceled, leaving hundreds of children home and many were alone during the fires. Those are just some of the facts, okay? so. The next thing I gotta touch on, and I will preface this as saying this could be complete conspiracy, uh, at least as it applies to the Maui fires, but the main component of this is not, and it's something that I don't think most people are aware of, but you need to be. A lot of folks haven't heard of AFRL, A-F-R-L, and every service branch has their own department and project for this, by the way. But this is the Air Force's Directed Energy Di Directorate, and it operates Air Force Maui Optical and Supercomputing, aka the AMOS site, which is located, you guessed it, right there in Maui. Yes, direct energy weapons do exist. That is not a conspiracy, as it is often mislabeled. Several other countries are also developing or have developed and even deployed these weapons. Was one used in this case? I'm not saying that. I simply do not have the information or documentation to support some that kind of a claim about this. But it is a very interesting question to ask. And several people in Maui have been asking that question. So definitely something to consider. And I mean a lot of them. From the way that it started and the way that it burned so hot and spread. I mean hot enough to liquefy steel and vaporize people essentially. Not only people, but homes and cars, full automobiles, I mean, burned out completely and melting. That's a lot of heat. That's a lot more than you would potentially see out of most brush fires. I'm just saying, let me play devil's advocate. This is what a lot of people are talking about right now. So I would be remiss to not bring that up. Now let's go over a couple of facts from during and after. First point. Police blocked the roads, in and out, controlling everyone. They corralled everyone down to Front Street, which was also blocked. So a lot of people were forced to just leave their vehicles and run into the ocean. That's why you see all those cars just kind of apocalyptically sitting there down on Front Street, burned completely to nothing. And that's why all those cars are stuck there. Residents were not allowed to use water to try and save their homes. The hydrants were dry. They would not turn on the water for them. Uh, firefighters were helpless even. Uh, they tried and found that the hydrants were dry. 
Like, they couldn't do anything to even attempt to fight these fires. They were essentially handcuffed. Aid was withheld by the Red Cross. Donations were turned away. People attempting to drop off donated supplies were told they weren't needed. The state, of course, now has plans to buy up this land for reduced prices. Rescue workers and those tasked with retrieving bodies have reported that no bodies to retrieve. And that nothing was left. Nothing that was recognizable as a human. And only DNA and location data could be used to ID them. They were only finding chunks, pieces of charred bones. I hate to be so graphic, but this is information that you need to hear. Those same workers are saying that the whole area is contaminated with asbestos and toxic chemicals from melted car batteries, liquefied vehicles and components, and what's left of, you know, the few buildings that are there. A Maui resident who witnessed and recorded, supposedly, the ignition of one of the fires reported that a power line popped off of the pole and hit the ground, which then sparked, and he said, and I quote, looked like a fuse from a firework. It followed a straight line on the ground to the next pole and triggered it to spark, which set off more fires and, and explosions. Regardless of how it started or was subsequently handled, or seemingly mishandled, I suppose, the current death toll now sits at at least 114 dead, with hundreds more still missing and feared dead which I don't feel I have to tell you is a very tragic situation and one that deserves a much better response than a one-time payment of $700 when Hawaii has the highest cost of living in the U.S. to start with. Price gouging is going on because of the destruction and don't forget that these people lost everything. This money won't even cover the, a week of lodging for these folks, much less food and supplies. Which is why I feel that we need to put something uh, on a grassroots level together for these people to give it directly where it needs to go. Not through FEMA, not through the Red Cross, but directly to the people that were actually affected by all this. And, and see what we can do to make this right for them. And look, I know everyone's struggling. Trust me. I know. Um, and I know that nothing could actually make it right after what they've gone through. But... If nothing else than drawing attention to what these people are actually going through and the lack of response, particularly when you compare it to the money that we've been funneling into and out of Ukraine for the past few years, it really puts into perspective how little we've done. If nothing else, please go and listen to what they're saying. Listen to the people of Hawaii. Believe them and support them in any way that you can. On to our second story, which is one that I've been warning about on my Facebook page for some time now. If you follow me there, you may have already be tired of hearing about it, actually. But it is increasingly imperative that we inform ourselves about this situation, and that situation is BRICS. Yesterday was the start of the BRICS Summit in South Africa. BRICS consists of five member states that make up the acronym. Those are Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Why does this matter? Why should you care? Well, for starters, these countries represent more than a quarter of the global GDP and 42% of the world's population. 
and their aim is to replace the US dollar as the world's reserve currency, to move to a more multipolar order and economic landscape away from the US-dominated unipolar order and it's that it's enjoyed since 1991 after the disintegration of uh, the USSR. And the agenda items for this summit include uh, their new currency that is set to replace the US dollar, uh, trade, military cooperation, AI, microchips, oil, infrastructure, and rail slash shipping lines to support and facilitate all that. They seek to bring an end to the Western hegemony, which in and of itself I can't say I disagree with in theory really, but the economic implications for the US and all of our ways of life is, uh, on a massive scale is a whole nother story. Not to mention the military might that would quite easily overwhelm our own, and it starts to paint a rather grim picture for the future of the US as we know it. Not to even mention our lack of microchip independence and a faulty supply chain that China is seeking to shut off between us and Taiwan. Considering that 90% of the world's microchips come from TSMC, a company that's right there in Taiwan, should China actually invade and seize control of their manufacturing, they could effectively just shut off the supply of microchips to the US and anywhere else that they want to. At the 2023 Global Conference, U.S. Democratic Senator from Massachusetts 6th District, Seth Moulton, just straight out, just straight up came out and said that if China was to invade Taiwan, that the U.S. would, quote, blow up TSMC to keep it out of their hands. Kind of further cementing that Pelosi's visit and all the pro-Taiwan rhetoric, uh, all of that was, was just uh, our concerns about microchips and of course not about the people of Taiwan actually. I don't think I need to tell you how important microchips are to everything that we use guys. Our military, our power production, essentially everything that supports our modern way of life from phones to computers to most people's toasters nowadays. Literally everything has microchips and requires them. Your cars. That being a major concern in and of itself the potential de-dollarization is a much bigger threat economically. An economy that is already failing. With BRIC's new gold-backed currency they are set to release, that's exactly what we are looking at. Without global trade, especially oil, being facilitated by the need for the US dollar, it will lose what little value it has now. Very, very quickly. Our currency isn't backed by gold. Now, I'm sure most of you probably know that, but we were taken off the gold standard in 71 by Nixon. But it was only on a quasi-gold standard at that point, I guess you could say. Because FDR confiscated all the privately owned gold uh, way before that, like 32, 33, something like that. And partially took us off the gold standard then. But our currency has been a fiat currency for years, since 71 now subject to the controlling whims of the central banks meaning it's backed by nothing it's only given its value based on demand for it which has been historically high because it's the world's reserve currency so that should kind of stand to show you explicitly why what's going on with bricks could easily have devastating consequences for us this is all matters that the mainstream media all but refuses to report on. 
or buries behind endless new Trump charges, or whatever distraction of the week they would rather you focus on, I guess. Which is precisely why it's important that we defend free speech and free press at all costs. Oh, and by the way, more than 40 other countries have stated their interest in joining BRICS, with India stating that they fully support the expansion. So without getting too much further into all of that, it's a situation that I would encourage you to research and just keep an eye on moving forward. Because it seriously could shake us to our core. The next thing I'm about to tell you is purely speculation. I just want to preface that. Okay? I mentioned this to several friends in recent weeks, and I made a post about it as well. But I feel that there is a high likelihood that the situation in Ukraine is about to take a major shift. Um, I said that it wouldn't surprise me if Zelensky and probably Putin both ended up assassinated by the CIA under the guise of a coup or something to that effect. Shortly after, both had some very close calls, and they were both pretty suspicious. Personally, I think we are in the process of shifting the proxy war into Africa and leaving Ukraine to pick up the pieces and deal with the depleted uranium and cluster bombs that us and the British uh, armed them with, both of which are notorious for causing as much collateral damage as intentional damage and killing those who use them far into the future. It's just something to think about. As always, I could be wrong. I'm just saying to keep your eyes and your mind open about it. And I guess that pretty much concludes our first news segment uh, of the new podcast. I'll be doing more of that, giving more commentary on, uh, you know, current event stories and stuff that's going on around the world. Things that need more coverage and are, are only getting one-sided coverage. Um, and I hope that you guys enjoy those. If you've got suggestions about something you'd like me to dig a little deeper on or talk about on the show, please let me know. Just want to once again thank Austin for joining me for the main episode and for the interesting insights that he shared with us that night. I also want to thank each and every one of you out there. Um, thank you for listening. Everyone who has participated in some kind of way. Uh, thank you to everyone that has liked and followed the Facebook page and sh- showed up, liked on Spotify, followed us in any kind of capacity there. As well as those who have reached out to me personally with words of encouragement. Uh, it, it truly means the world to me. I'm not going to give anything away about next week's show just yet. But I will be posting a little sneak peek over on the Facebook page. If you don't follow it, you should. Just search Clandestine Radio Podcast and you should find it. Um, I'll say we've got a lot of interesting things coming up. Stories that have always interested me. And I haven't got a chance to cover any of them yet planning to do some contests lots of good stuff possibly even a new show that might be coming to the channel in the coming months so stay tuned and stay curious my friends and we'll talk again soon on the next clandestine radio podcast oh oh and one more thing i almost forgot before i get out of here i'm working on some uh pretty fire new theme music for the show so no more of these generic um transitions and openings You can look forward to that, man. Alright, you guys have an awesome night.